My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and this is episode six of Deep Natter, a weekly show that Sean Tucker and I do live on Clubhouse every Tuesday. In this episode, we're talking about chasing objective good in art making and selling out to please an audience versus making strategic choices to keep an audience engaged with the work that we make. We also share a few things that you might want to check out to level up your inspiration. Here we go. It is. <laughs> Let's let tell you about that podcast um, a friend of mine recommended to me recently called The Rewatchables. Yes. Where yes. They, where they go through like old movies uh, and sort of one at a time for an episode and decide whether or not they're rewatchable. Such a good podcast, actually. I'm really enjoying it. And what I'm trying to do now is is uh, go and watch a movie that I know they've done an episode on and then listen to their episode. It's oh, cool. A thing to do. Um, yeah, it's been good. What, so what's been the most recent one that you've done? Is there one that you can think yeah, yeah, of? Yeah, I did one yesterday. Uh, I did the game with Michael Douglas. Oh, with Michael Douglas. <laughs> yeah. Classic. I think it's on. It's streaming on Netflix right now. Netflix or Prime, one of the two. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I watched it on Netflix. It's, it's, it's one of David Finch's early ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Still got that hallmark sort of underexposed, dark shadow, you know, Yeah, his lighting look. that makes no sense in the real world. <laughs> like, where is right. that light coming from? You know? <laughs> There's always five lights coming from every different angle. And you go, right. how are they, how is that? It's, I think lighting has moved in the last, I mean, you, you think about those late 80s, early, mid 90s even movies. You, you, light didn't have to make sense. It was kind of the the Spielberg, uh, Jim Jarnish kind of like, it doesn't matter. Just, right. just throw a light at him because the hair light looks cool. Right. It doesn't right. matter that, you know, that light is coming out of a, of, of a blank wall. Who cares? Right. Like, <laughs> it, but now I can't, I can't unsee it because we've gone in a much more naturalistic direction, you know, with, with uh, Deacons and Lubezki and the like, and uh, Hoyte van Hoyte and all those guys, like <laughs> Wally Fister. Like it's, it's become, you have to motivate your lighting, you know? Right. It, it has to it has to make sense where it's coming from at least a little bit yeah yeah no it, it's it's we've gone beyond the uh the star wars miniature just make it look good on film mentality yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter that there are 15 light sources because i don't know about you like i i have this thing watching movies and i don't know if it bugs anyone else but it really does bug me i like to know like the geography of any scene and i, yeah. I like to know where everything is in the room and i don't like I don't like when I can tell filmmakers are moving walls out and switching stuff around to get a good shot, but you've changed the room around. If I, if I can pick that up, it really kind of throws me off. Yeah. Or, we, we or, have, you know, we have talked about this and it really does bug Sean. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It, it, and that's the same with the lighting. Like it bugs me if you've changed the geography of the lighting. Like, right. you know, when you do, when you do like, um, sort of over the shoulder dialogue shot. So you've got a close up of one character's face and then you switch to the other side and you've got a close up of the character's face they're talking to. But if you look at the shot of whoever the first person is who's talking, there's this like brilliant bright white hair light on the back of their head right. and their face is side lit. And then you switch around to the other character. There's no bright light hitting them in the face, which there should be if there's one behind that character. Right, 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 right. Now the brilliant bright light switched around to the other side of the room. It's hitting them in the back of the head. It's and the, and the key lights on the opposite side. I'm like, what is going on in this room? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't. <laughs> or if they're really... lit exactly the same, but they're supposedly facing opposite directions. Absolutely, yeah. So the light's coming through a window, apparently, but apparently the window is switching sides of the room every time you switch camera <laughs> angles. That kind of thing. Really, I wonder. If, I wonder if a lot of people get that. If it's just because I've 
I think it probably comes from portrait photography because I'm right. looking at lighting on faces and I'm going, come on, man, now, now you're just now you're just cheating the light. That's why I love the Revenant because it is natural light. He shoots the whole thing natural light, so so it makes sense because it had to make sense because it was the light that was available. You know, right, so right, right. right. I, I never caught myself pulled out of a scene because the light was too beautiful, and it and it bumped me out and I, I was trying to work out where the hell that light's coming from right why is there a spotlight in the trees <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the forest <laughs> on a cloudy day like right. why is that why is that happening did you ever uh while we're on lighting a little bit did you ever see uh barry linden oh um kubrick's no. film that was all natural light no but it's one of those i really want to see that's the one where he's shooting by candlelight on 0.5 yeah. mil like f point. Nine five lenses and stuff. Wasn't yes, it? yeah. I haven't, I've yeah. seen shots from it, um, but I haven't. I haven't actually seen the film. No, it looked beautiful from the shot. Have you seen Shot Deck? By the way, that's where I saw shots from this. Have you come uh, across no. something yet? Shot no. Deck is it's now it's now you have to pay for it, unfortunately. Um, but it's shotdeck.com. It is, um, and I always forget his name. It's the cinematographer for, who did Joker um oh okay uh larry larry i can't remember anyway but basically shot deck pulls together like the best stills from from a huge catalog of films and then uh keys keywords them and, and cross searches and everything so that you can literally go in and you can browse shots i'm on here now so i'll tell you you can go by media type genre time period color so you can look for kind of overall color these are all the search categories you can punch in wow. uh, interior exterior time of day aspect ratios format composition lighting lighting type shot type so you can go like you know close up medium wide whatever you want to select uh, frame size lens size number of people in the shot, gender, age, ethnicity. So if I'm, say, for example, if I'm doing a, an interview with a subject and it's, uh, uh, I, I kind of know what the setting is going to be, I could just go in there and I know it's a, it's a, it's a female that I'm interviewing. I can go like um, interior, day, uh, rim light, female, close up. And it will give me like a whole page of those oh, wow. sorts of stuff from the best films ever, ever shot. And does it, and it present them you... as thumbnails or how, do, how does it present them? Yeah, like sort of very large kind of generous thumbnails that you can click into each one and have a look. But it generates these kind of instant mood boards from some of the best cinematographers ever that just give you an idea about how could I light this interview that would look cool based wow. on cinematic stills. Um, I've, I've, I've really been enjoying it the last little while. And is it a, a one-time fee or is it a monthly? How do they do it? Uh, it's now, it's now, I, I paid an annual thing. I was with them before, um, before the whole thing, um, fired up. I was kind of in their beta. So I got, I got a reduced rate. Uh, but I got, I think it was a slightly reduced rate, but it's basically $50 a year, I think. Oh, that's not bad. No, no, that's no, not it's bad. Pe it's, it's peanuts. I'm not sure if I got that cause I was in the beta or if that's the plan for everybody. Mm -hmm. yeah, you you somehow got grandfathered in or something. Yeah, I might have got a reduced rate, but it's not—it's still not much. And if you're into video or cinematography at all, and you want to just have these instant mood boards, from, and it really is like the best cinematographers from the best. I mean, valuable even for stills, I would imagine, if Absolutely. you're trying to, you know, deal with Absolutely. color. Absolutely. Yeah, just thinking about um, color or portraits, even you know, uh, for more creative kind of stylized cinematic portraits, it's really, really valuable. Definitely worth a look. Um, can I ask you about? Uh, 
if you want to share, because I, I found it interesting and I want to know more about your conversation that you had this week with Michelle. Are you, are you willing to dive oh. in a bit? <laughs> yeah, sure. Can we, yeah. Can we yeah. open it up? Because I, a, a, I, it, it a piece of it. Me. Yeah. 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 So, um, I have a, a, a very good friend who uh, works at the National Gallery and she is, um, she's brilliant. She's hugely articulate, very talented, intimidating because of that, you know, talent. And, and, and she's, you know, in the top echelon, probably top three or top five in the world at what she does. And, and she's always very kind, but also very honest. And, uh, I went down to the gallery cause I hadn't seen her boy, I don't know, months it's been, um, and asked if she had time for a coffee or lunch or something before it was, we were scheduled to meet. I went, uh, upstairs and looked at this, uh, this little exhibit that was, that was there. And, uh, uh, there were some works on encaustic, uh, which I love encaustic. And I think it's probably going to be where I end up pivoting to after I finish this next series of acrylic pieces. And the first few pieces in the show, I, I don't want to be unkind, but they were just sort of eh for me. They were okay. Uh, but there they were hanging in the National Gallery. And, uh, so I finished walking through and, and went down to, to meet up with Michelle and, you know, we, we, we got to talking about it after, after a little while. And we were talking about some of the work that I'm, that I'm doing. And I said, you know, I, I, I went up and looked at this show and I'm looking at the work thinking, I think my stuff's that good, you know? Sure. And, and she said, well, yeah, it is maybe better, but she got her stuff in front of people and you don't, hmm. you know, you, you still are, are kind of hindered by this belief that, that there's some sort of objective good in art. And there isn't there, there is, there is good to the right people. There is good to the people that can get you in a gallery. There's good to the people that can get you in a museum. There's good to the people that can get you in front of an art buyer, but there is no such thing as objective good. It's all subjective and it changes all the time. And I, I think that that's something I, I, I know intellectually, you know, I, I know it sort of on paper, but I think as, as makers, we still get stuck on that hamster wheel of good and, and we keep trying to tweak and push and pull and refine and, and you know, are, are they going to like this or, or would they prefer it this way? Is, is, is this going to be well-received or is this one going to be better? Black and white or color, hmm. uh, long focal length or wide. Uh, you, you know what I mean? It, it's, hmm. it's something that I think a lot of us get stuck in. And, you know, the, the conversation continued for a little while longer and, and she had some really great things to say, some good to hear, some difficult to hear, but I think all from a space of love and from a space of, of, uh, a body of experience and, and skill that is undeniable. So it's, it's not like, you know, she's, you know, just some person, you know, offering up an opinion. This is an opinion backed by, yeah. you know, 
decades worth of experience at the highest level. And um, so I, I, I really took it to heart and I started thinking about whether or not I do that. And of course I do um, to lesser or, or greater degrees. But you and I have talked about this many times in, in that, you know, you, you, you do have to end up creating for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there are considerations when you put things out into the world and expect uh, some sort of monetary return on those, those, those things. They do have to appeal to a market or a person or a gallery or, you know, some sort of body of, of people. They do have to appeal to them. Otherwise, you know, they're not going to get purchased. And if that's your goal, you do have to yep. think about that. You may not have to, to cater to that. You may not have to produce work solely with the intent of pleasing an audience, but it certainly must be a consideration. Um, we're, we're watching as an aside, we're watching this show called making the cut on Amazon prime. And it, it's basically, it's the evolution of uh, project runway with Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn. And one of the interesting components of the show is each of the designers, each, each challenge, they have two assignments. They have one to go all out and do, you know, wow us with, with this creation. But the other look that you create has to be an accessible version of Mm. the wow look. Because the, the, the accessible look, if you win that particular challenge, the accessible look immediately becomes available in the making the cut store on Amazon. So it gets sold on Amazon immediately. And so there is this challenge and, and we're watching season one, season two is apparently out. So if you know who won season one, don't tell me because we haven't watched that part yet. Um, but there's a, a, a guy from Belgium uh, named Sander. And he's this very avant-garde, uh, hugely creative young designer. And one of his biggest challenges throughout the, uh, the season has been making his work accessible because he thinks in, in these very sort of abstract and, and, and uh, non-traditional, he treats his clothing as art and he says it you know, in, in so many words, I, I, I treat my, every piece that I make as a work of art. And so the challenge is, yeah, but now you're talking to an audience. Now you have to make these things that are, that are, they have your character, they have your, uh, your DNA in them, but now you're working for an audience. And, and I really kind of resonated with his, with his arc over the season, because I think, in, in some ways, you know, not that my work is all that avant-garde because it's not, but I have been starting to think about what's going to appeal to an audience. And I don't know that, you know, Cold War propaganda based paintings are necessarily, you know, going to have a high degree of appeal. So I have been making some tweaks and, and trying to, uh, trying to come up with things that still feel like me that still contain, Mm. you know, my DNA, but aren't necessarily so, uh, heavy handed and, and rooted in, you know, cold war propaganda imagery from the Soviet union kind of thing. Um, so all of this is, is, is kind of bubbling around in my head and, and I feel good about it. I don't, 
I don't, you know, I'm not anxious over it. I'm not thinking that, that, oh my God, now I've got to retool everything. Uh, as my friend Freddie told me over the, over the weekend, he said, what you don't need is to retool. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've done enough of that. Just, just change it a little bit. Just, just make some slight modifications, but still keep that, that, that essence in the work. Um, and I think there are a lot of people out there who feel the same way. I know there are because I've talked to a lot of people who, who are, who are straddling that line between what they really want to do and what may have a broader appeal to an audience. I think that fashion analogy is perfect though, isn't it? Because did you see the, um, uh, the Ewan McGregor series, Halston, uh, on Netflix? No, I heard mixed reviews about it. Yeah, uh, I'd say that. So I didn't. Great. I haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> mixed reviews. But uh, what is interesting is is it's is you know he's playing a designer who who um, became arguably one of the most famous designers in the world. I think because even though he was a talented designer, he worked hard to make the stuff he made accessible. Mm-hmm. And so that it could be actually put into stores and, and, and average people would buy it. Normal people would buy it. You know, so right. much stuff that goes on a runway is stuff like, well, it looks beautiful, but I can't wear that to the shops. He was always, it needs to look beautiful and you can wear it to the shops. So he, he was straddling this line and obviously got a lot of criticism from his industry for doing that and, you know, accused of selling out and all the rest of it. But I reckon it's something we all have to fight is, is, um, it's it's all very well, you know, creating only the stuff that we really believe in, but that converge on being self-indulgent and no one will get it. And then we're stuck in a corner with this pure vision that no one cares about and we're angry at the world. Right. Or like you say, we can, we can work out, well, I can, I can keep doing that, all that stuff on the side I can keep doing, but I can also work out how can I, how can I tweak this so that human beings might want to interact with it? Right, not just, right, right, right. You know, like, right. Other people, I think it, it always gets talked down and sort of looked down at as soon as it hits the social media thing, I think. But I, it's the same for me. It's, it's the same. It's whether it's in, in, in the real world or it's online. I think if, and, and, and the other side of it is, I think if art, which, which I tend to believe, is some form of communication, whether it's overt or, or, or a little more, you know, under the covers, it, it's some form of communicating. We're trying to work out what we want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's communication. And if it's communication, that's two people. That's me and the person who receives it. And if I don't care about the person who receives it, what am I really doing it for? Is, right. it, ju- is it just to satisfy myself? Which that's fine. But that's a bit onanistic. Like, or, or is it also, no, I want to I say something to you that I think I've seen. And I'm not, maybe I'm not sure how to say it. Maybe, maybe I choose an artistic medium because I don't know how to put it neatly into language. So that's why I say it that way. But it is about me telling you something um, and being deliberate with that. I, I think we all, because we all start. I, I mean, I get the, one of the messages I get the most online is, oh, I got a, I got a, a camera and I, and I love photography. I love photography. It's amazing. It, and, and then you'll, you'll get kind of these long messages which have got beautiful sounding phrases in them, but put in an order that I don't understand because it's like, you know, the, the beauty of the feelings of the spaces of the light of the, and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I can't see the sentence. I can see you're feeling a lot about it. 
and you you you're excited and amped up about what you're feeling but i don't think you've yet worked out how and usually the end of those messages are but i don't know what to say with my photography or what sort of things to take photographs of you know right. it's fine that it starts with that passion for photography and excitement around the medium for example but if you don't then do the hard work of working out what do i want to say and how do i say it well with this skill set to other people which is only your responsibility then i think you've only done half the job yeah no i i, th I think you're right i mean i think there and 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 to be fair that half of the job is important to to know how you want to feel creating the work and to know how you would like an audience to feel receiving that work. Very important. I think mm -hmm. that, that it's, it's, Absolutely. you know, it, it's, it's going to inform the kind of work that you create in the, and, and I think that's across the board, whether we're talking about visual arts or a musician or, or, you know, a dancer or a writer, whatever it is, I think that, you know, starting with why starting with with the intent or the purpose behind it gets you a good way there but then you've got to figure out to your point you've got to figure out what does that look like yeah you know and the idea of of selling out i guess i i, I get it but at the end of the day everything has become so commoditized that it, it leaves me scratching my head going what does it really mean to sell out what yeah. does that really mean yeah you know if you want to move prints if you're a photographer or if you want to sell books or you know whatever it is well at some point you have to have an honest conversation with yourself and say yeah i, I like you said i do want to create the kind of work that i'm interested in and passionate about etc cetera, etc cetera. But if you're the only one who finds it appealing, hmm. maybe that's the balance. Maybe it's maybe it's selling out if we actually don't start with being excited about whatever we're making and we skip straight to art as business and we're just mm -hmm. trying to hack the market and work out what will sell. I can right. make something that will sell that I don't care about. I'm not putting my heart into. I'm not trying to say anything, but I know people will buy this. Maybe that's right. the sellout. It's got to be the balance. It's got to be. Maybe. I mean, w w one of the examples that I use a lot, I keep coming back to is uh, uh, for, for, and I think it works across the board, is a, a fashion designer named Massimo who had one type of career, uh, but then ended up striking a deal with Target and mm -hmm. started making clothes for Target. And, and okay, so maybe you're going to sell, you know, I don't know a half dozen $10,000 dresses, or you can sell $5,000 dresses, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I don't know that, that if your goal is to get your work, whatever it is out in front of as many people as possible, then what's so wrong with thinking about how that work is going to be received by an audience, by, by a large number of people? I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I think when I was younger, I, I, I was on one side of that fence, but I think as I get older, I'm, I'm very firmly on the other side. I'm happy creating work that's more design, less art, that mm -hmm. is more sort of production friendly that I can, that I can get done in a timelier manner than spending weeks or months on a single piece. 
I'm fine with that. And I don't think it's selling out at all because it's still, it's still got me in it. It's still, it's still got my handprint all over it. So what, what, um, what changed for you? Can you pinpoint where that started to shift? What happened? Yeah, actually I can. Um, it, it, it changed with that series that I did last year. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, doing, doing this series of, of, um, geometric sort of grid based, uh, interpretations and then doing a set of a dozen of my more narrative kind of propaganda driven pieces simultaneously, mm. that completely changed the game. It showed me that I could do something that was more production friendly, that was, that was less narrative, more design, just all about color and shape, didn't have to tell a story, that I could do that work and be very satisfied with the process and very happy with the outcome and still do a smaller body of work, uh, but, but focus on, on narrative and the types of, of visual images and ephemera and found objects and things that I, that I love putting in my work and, and come away from that also feeling satisfied, uh, both in the process and in the outcome. So, yeah, I think, I think definitely those things have, have allowed me to see differently about the process. And I would encourage, you know, I would encourage people to experiment on both sides um, with creating the work that you have to pour every ounce of yourself into. And it has to be, you know, let yourself be fastidious about a, a number of pieces, but then maybe is, is there, is there another, is there another line of work or another, not line of work as in another vocation or profession, but can you produce another series or another body of work that maybe doesn't require as much existential energy or, or, or even effort yeah. to get it done? Did you come home from that conversation with Michelle? Did you look at your work differently? Yes, I think I did. I mean, I, I think I, I think I saw more room for experimentation and play on one side and the other. Um, because I, I, I looked at them as separate parts of me. I love doing, you know, I, I, I love being a graphic designer and I love the challenge of how can I simplify this and still have it read as something that was created? How can I reduce this down to a series of rectangular shapes and colors, but then take that sort of textural element that I put into the other work and, and fuse that in there and, and, and make some sort of hybrid. I love that challenge. And, and I love the simplicity of the work. And, and yet I also love the freedom to be able to go, okay, I have this, I have this story in my head. I've got this, you know, like there's one story that I've got, it's a husband and wife story. And, and they are involved in this, in this high level espionage and they're both you know, agents. Mm -hmm. Um, but one is not what the other thinks. And it's, so there's this whole backstory that I've created for this body Mm -hmm. of work. And I really enjoy making that too. Are, are either of those expressions art? I don't know. And I'm okay saying I'm, uh, that I don't know. I'm okay letting somebody else decide that. 
Yeah. Because I think yeah, that's yeah. what screws me up. I think that's part of what screws us all up is deciding, is this good enough to be called art? Well, I had the same journey with this, with the street photography thing. Absolutely. You know, where, where I started doing this thing on the street and I, I called it street photography because what else do you call it if you're taking photographs on the street? I mean, by yeah, right. surely. <laughs> I'm here with a camera. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What is this then? But I was told quite categorically by a couple of street photographers, what you're doing is not street photography. And what rescued yeah. me, funny enough, was um, seeing uh, Ray Metzger's work and mm, Fan mm-hmm, Ho's mm-hmm. work and Trent, some of Trent Park's work and uh, looking at it and going, oh, okay, but if my, if my work isn't street photography, neither is Ray Metzger's work. And right. if he's not a street photographer and I'm whatever he is, then I'm fine with that. It doesn't matter yeah. what you call it. Then I'm yeah. whatever he does, you know? I don't so, know that Ray Metzger has ever been called a light architect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not that cool, <laughs> is he? <laughs> it, it just made me realize, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Let other people argue over the labels because my photography is not going to change. It's going to keep I'm gonna keep making it because I like it. Um, it, it. And it also doesn't diminish it or make it less because you apply any particular label. The image is still the same image. Right. So it doesn't matter. I think people do it to subtly categorize and bring you down in a way. And and I think well, and sometimes you, and you already do this. Like Yeah, you you already are doing it. You there are there are images and bodies of work that you will will you know defend and and you know push back on and because they are you. But then there are other times where you go, you know what? It's not a great photo, but I know what kind of response it's going to get. And I need that right now. And that's okay. Oh, gosh. I mean, when it comes to online stuff, I, I post an image every single day. There is yeah. no way I could post a good image every single day. Who, who produces 365 great images a year? I don't. I don't even get close to that. So if I'm going to post something online every day, a lot of that is strategic to go, well, I kind of know how this game works. So right. I, 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 my bar for myself is it has to be something interesting about it. Then I, I relabel what I'm doing on Instagram, for example, as like this is just a scrapbook of ideas. And then that gives me p- permission to post something every day to keep the conversation going. But there's no way I'm, I'm suggesting, and I think a lot of people get confused because they want to talk to you and go, uh, why did you post this? As if we're standing in a gallery together, I'm standing in front right. of my prints and I have to explain myself. I'm like, no, 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 this is not what this is. Like, don't get confused. Oh, okay. I'll see what you're doing. But here. I think that you, you do, I mean, because you say, look, these are ideas, these are sketch images. Yeah. You know, I think we have lost the ability to acknowledge our need to make sketch images. That, that there is such a pressure, there's such an expectation that everything you share online has to be a 10. Yeah. And I, man, I don't, I don't dig that at all. Or I mean, share I, the process because yeah. that's why you share sketches or ideas because I'm, and, and, and by the way, if you're on the, if you're on the receiving end of that, I'm giving you a gift. I don't have to give you, I, I can, I can play the game. A lot of other people do and just, just post my 10 bangers in rotation. I can do that. Right. It's very right. easy to do. So I can, I can just post up 50 images I like, and I can just rotate the bottom to the top just to keep you engaged and show you the same stuff over and over again. A lot of people do it and there's nothing wrong with that, but I chose as a teaching tool to show you my thought process and to show you images I take that I just think might have some interest about them. Right. And, and that's, that's a privilege for people on the other end of it. I think, but, but the, to then turn around and go, well, explain yourself. It's like, 
no, you're missing missing the point. And I think like, for example, when you did your Instagram lives showing us you painting and mm. creating, like that's that's a privilege. We don't a lot of artists wouldn't let us see that. They would protect their techniques and they wouldn't let us see. And you showed us, you you taught yeah. us. Um, even if I don't do what you do, I found that stuff mesmerizing to watch. Thanks. Just because Thank I you. think any time you get to see behind the curtain of someone's process is fascinating to me. Um, well, and I, I am, I am too happy to show it because I learned from other people. I learned on the back of somebody else's experimentation. And uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago it was, I, there was an artist that I follow and I can't remember if I still follow this person or not. I, I may have unfollowed because that's what a petty bitch I sometimes am. Uh, <laughs> <Aren't> we all? <laughs> because I, I asked, you know, I asked, I said, look, I love this work. But how are you getting this effect? What are you doing? I've, I've, you know, I, and I explained, I'm, I tried to do da, 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 da. And, and it didn't, I didn't quite get there. What are you doing here? And the response was, it's magic. And I just went, oh, uh, you're one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I honestly feel sorry for people. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't hate anyone or, or dislike anyone or feel, you know, anything negative towards people who don't share their process. I understand it. But, but I feel very sorry for people who feel they can't share it because if we know their one trick, we'll instantly be as good as they are because it's only about right. the trick. And it's so, yeah, it's so short-sighted, I think. Yeah. You know, I, like I said, I am, anything I know, I'm an open book. I'll, I'll gladly explain to you how I did something, um, whatever it is. Because again, I, I learned on the back of other people being kind enough to share how they did it. Yeah. Um, especially this sort of melding of, of analog and digital. It, it, it came from a, a, a brilliant artist. Her name is Dorothy Simpson Krauss. And uh, I saw her work and, and didn't quite understand what was going on and had some questions. And I found her email address and I reached out to her and she was lovely. She's like, oh, well, here's what, you know, da, 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 and, and laid out exactly what I asked and, and, and said, good luck, you know, show me what you come up with. I can't wait to see it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that, that's the way I want to be. You know, I, 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 I love that because I'm not going to produce work like her. Yeah. You're not going to produce work like Fan Ho. Nope. Is, is it going to drip through you and, and, and seep into your bones and, and come out the other side as something else? Absolutely. But it won't be Fan Ho. No. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Did, um, did what she said to you about the difference between what you have and what this person had on the wall in the gallery um, was that this person put themselves out there? Did that give you any kind of new commitment to put your work out there more deliberately? Yes. 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 Because um, that's what struck me when you told me the story. Yeah. And in different types of arenas or venues, you know, I, th- I think to 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 its detriment i think we look at the success stories and we think that that's the only way to do it we look at the people who are who are doing you know x y or z and we we go i, I want to know how they did it i want to know how they did that so that i can be in that place too mm. but that's often not the way it works that i mean the moment something has tried it's it's no longer new it's no longer unique and you know, there was a, you know, you know, Tony Robbins, you know, that, mm-hmm. that name? Yeah. Tony Robbins. 
So Tony, you know, he, he would always use this, uh, in, in a series that he did called personal power, which long story anyway, you know, he would, he, one of his teachings was, you know, it's, it's all about modeling and, and modeling behavior. You, and if you, if you want, if you want the same results as somebody else, you find out what they did, do the same thing. You're going to get the same results. And this is what he taught, right? Mm-hmm. And he sold millions of tapes on the back of that. And the problem is it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, when, when uh, Alex Bloomberg did a, a podcast series called Startup, and it was, it was the true story of starting a podcast and a true story of blah, 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 blah. Okay. And was it true? I mean, maybe parts of it, but what, what people didn't want to acknowledge is that you're not going to get a meeting with the people that he got meetings with mm-hmm. because you don't have NPR as, as a reference. You don't have Ira Glass vouching for you. You don't have, you know, all this VC money that's required to do what they did. So, so to expect that all you have to do is, you know, X, Y, Z, it's a little unrealistic. Mm. Um, but all that to say, what it, what it does do is it shows you that there are possibilities that you have yet to think of. Yeah. It shows you that there are avenues that you have yet to go down. And I think that's what the, the conversation with Michelle and, and one of the follow-up conversations with Deborah, who, uh, if, if you don't know Deborah Weiss, she's terrific. She's, she's a, a legend. She's worked in film. She, you know, she knew Warhol. She, it, she's amazing. She's on Clubhouse here. And she... will be along shortly, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she, um, I had a conversation with her about it and she said, look, She's absolutely right. You know, your, your stuff is doing nobody any good sitting in your basement. Mm. And you need to just get over yourself, frankly, and, and get the work out there. If people don't want to look at it, that's fine. But they're never going to know whether they do or don't want to look at it unless you show it to them. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I have talked to so many people. We've talked about talking to people who have had the exact same sort of thought process of, of I really want to do this with my photography. And you will ask them, well, have you shown anybody? Well, yeah. no. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well then, yeah, yeah. you know, it, the odds of somebody turning down your street and knocking on your door and going, Hey, you don't have a camera by any chance, do you? You're not a really good, you know, whatever. It's not going to happen. Aren't you that brilliant so, guy who does that thing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Really, aren't you that? Isn't <laughs> that who you are? Money to keep doing that thing you'd have to do. Right. We've got, I've got this dump truck full of money. Do you have yeah. anything you could give me for it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it, it, all of this has been a progression and it's allowed and, 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 you know, through talking to other people, it's not just the conversation with Michelle or Deborah, it's talking to other people who are, who are trying to, uh, work through some of these obstacles and challenges themselves and, and feeling that kinship with them. And, uh, you know, we're all trying to create work that we dig. We're all trying to show it to people. We're all trying to, to, to be heard or seen or noticed or acknowledged in some way. But the first step is the one I have the most difficulty with, and that is showing people. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a, a, a conversation with Bill Wadman, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago now, and he said something really kind of poignant, and I think he's absolutely right. And he said, you know, we are 
we are all afraid to be our own town crier because somebody then is going to ask us to produce. And we have this fear around what we produce. But the thing is, what we produce is really good. We, there's no need to feel you know, anxious or, or, or fearful about it. And I just thought that was really interesting because I, I think on a lot of levels, he's right about it. You know, I'm, I'm great at doing the work. I'm great at coming up with ideas. I'm great at coming up with, you know, I mean, you, you have, have gently, you know, <laughs> ribbed me about coming up with marketing campaigns and, and merch before the idea is really fleshed out. But I, I, I love doing that part of it. Mm-hmm. What I'm not good at, and I think what a lot of people who might be listening to this could, can, uh, can relate to, what I'm not good about is beating my own drum. What I'm not good about is saying, not from a space of, of ego or a space of, of look how wonderful I am, but just letting people know, here's this thing that I do. Make up your own mind, but I do this. Well, I mean, for me, it's fear, isn't it? It's, it's fear that it, because as long as I'm doing it and I'm enjoying it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incomplete circle, but at least it feels good. But right. the minute I try to complete the circle and get it in front of other people, that's now scary because I could get rejected for it. I could fall out of love with it. It could get very complicated. I could be judged for it. I could be ridiculed for it. Sure. It suddenly takes sure. something that I love and I'm close to and hands it over to the rest of the world where I have no control over it and it could sour it. And, and that, that, you know, for some people, I mean, for all of us on some level, that is a real possibility. We, we have to be quite mentally strong at that point to battle through. Um, Absolutely. But as long as we keep that loop with ourselves, then we don't have to bother. We can just, we can just do it because we love it. But then you're not doing that thing where you're using whatever your, your medium is as communication and giving it to other people because you're afraid it might be misunderstood or made fun of. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what, what's the adage? It's, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I never want to belong to a club that would have me as a member. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, we have this fear that we're not going to be good enough or like you're, you know, to your point, not going to be understood or it's going to be ridiculed. Uh, but, you know, all of the people that we hold up as, as inspiration, I would imagine most of them anyway, maybe not all of them, but certainly most of them were told they were no good. We're told that, I mean, Eggleston told was told that his work was, was well. not fine art, yeah. right? Like yeah. color, color photography isn't art, you idiot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. You know, so at some point we do have to have the, the stamina to do the work. We have to have the, the, the belief in ourselves that, that, you know, I'm staying true to what I want to do. And, you know, if you don't like it, that's okay. But that doesn't, Unpopular does not equal bad yeah. in the same way that popular does not equal good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it could be way off base. <laughs> no, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about seven cups of coffee in today, so I don't oh, really yeah. know what I'm saying. <laughs> Hang on, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But... Yeah. I mean, I think all of this will, will be, you know, to, to make a long story even longer. Um, I think all of this will, will show up in different ways, but it, it comes down to, to really understanding and being okay 
with the work not being liked and still being okay producing it. Yeah. That's the mental toughness thing. Yeah. Is it you? I mean, not making... everything you do is going to be great. I mean, look, Spielberg made E.T. He made Lincoln, you know, but he also made 1941. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't always get it right. No. And, and where we started, David Fincher also made the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> After he made seven. So no excuses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything in your favorite podcast app to get Deep Natter along with Process Driven and everything else I release all in one feed. If you'd like to support the show and help others find it, you can leave a review or a rating wherever you listen and share it on social media. And as a reminder, you can listen to the show live and be a part of the conversations Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Clubhouse. Connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K. On his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sidoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S or on my website at jeffreysidoris.com. As always, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate you sharing your time with us and we hope you'll come back for the next one.